We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And last night, the Lakers had an, an honorable loss uh, without LeBron James. Played well, uh, but Philly kept him at arm's distance. One crazy thing to note about that game. Aside from Russell Westbrook, every player that the Lakers had available to them was is on a vet minimum contract. So it was Russ and the vet mins last night. And I thought that they did well in the areas that they could do well. But Philly's size and just the talent discrepancy was too much in the end. But I thought it was a game where, uh, like, I, I can watch this team. This is a watchable basketball team, probably the most fun I've had watching the Lakers this year over these last four games or so. I think our offense has taken a real step forward and we've started to just bring some new things to the table. I know we're late in the season for moral victories and things like that, but I think that in the spirit of what we've been talking about really over the last month of kind of getting ground underneath us and stop digging the hole <laughs> that we've been falling into, I really think that we've started to establish something underneath that. And I was I was encouraged by last night's game, despite the result. Yeah, I think we're at the point now where everyone, including the coaching staff and the players, understand what works and what doesn't. So go back two months, maybe right? 10 weeks. And Mike, I would imagine some version of we have to figure it out. We have to play hard. Um, we have to insert whatever idea around the ability to, to come together and play for each other. These were, I think, sound bites that were getting pretty repetitive in pre-game availability, in post-game availability, in media availability, um, after shoot-arounds and practices. It was all the same stuff. And all of that's gone in the past two weeks or so because I think they have figured it out. They do understand what works. And in the last, I would say, 10 to 14 days, the team has been playing harder more consistently right it's not all the time 
we saw that one Washington quarter that was rough. And there were a couple games before that, including some moments during the Minnesota game where I thought the team was just like, ah, like we're not in this entirely. Some of that, though, was like, oh, this team's kicking our butts and it's hard to like get up continuously just to get punched in the face again. Like at some point you're just like, yeah, I think I'm going to sit down <laughs> now. But they understand now what works and what does and and they are striving towards that more often. And I think that they were doing more of the things that are working more often and to their talent level and to their ability level, they're being as successful as you could hope that they would be within that considering the other team has players too, the other team has coaches too, and the other team is talented as well. Right. And so look who was on the other side of the court yesterday, right? Embiid, Tobias Harris, um, James Harden, those three guys Take any one of them, and if you remove Russell Westbrook, those guys all make 10 times more, 15 times more what the rest of the available players for the Lakers make, right? And so the talent discrepancy was obvious. And at any point, I felt like at any point, if Philly decided, yeah, we're going to lock in now, that the Lakers weren't going to win the game at all. The fact that it was close and that they were playing it the way that they were, I think was reflective of Philly's attitude, but also reflective of the Lakers really like, hey, we've got a plan. We know that this plan can be successful and we're going to play towards that. And if a couple of things go their way or a couple of guys play above their head just a little bit, then we can be in it or we can be up by six, eight, ten points. And and that's encouraging to me. And I'm guessing it's encouraging to the players. And that's going to spark even more belief that, again, two, two months ago, that belief was totally sapped. Well, to isolate the first quarter for a second, because I think it embodies some of what you were talking about, the Lakers did do pretty much everything right within their talent and they were hitting a bunch of shots so stanley johnson goes five for five and carries over a fourth quarter in cleveland where he went five for six and all of a sudden everything's going in for stanley he's three for three from three he's pulling joel and beat out there and he plays 11 minutes and 30 seconds of that first quarter and then when gabriel although he missed his three shots he had five rebounds and he was just active he had a block he's he had that big block he packed um who was it it was uh, tyble Tybal, he packed uh-huh. Tybal on the, the rim. It was a great read. Uh, like he saw, Tybal was running Sta- uh, Stanley, I think, off of Dwight. Right, he used Dwight kind of as a screen on that on a cut, and like Wenyan read it way early. I just a really impressive play. And so those two, not only are they vet mins at this point. Well, I mean, Gabriel isn't even a vet min at this point, right? He's still a two way player. Mm-hmm. with the South Bay Lakers, who's up the whole time. And, you know, as we've mentioned, they're going to have to figure that part out. But those two guys, as we talked about last pod, kind of represent this change in athleticism and youth and energy from the guys that started playing starting the season. And the problem is once you get into the second quarter and, you know, Philly has their – they've got their second ro- their second rotation, which features Maxi, you know, and uh, – Tobias Harris, and then they come back in with Harden and Embiid, who they kind of had tethered together. Those guys just started to pick it up defensively, really. They they came out kind of as typically happens in the NBA. They looked at the talent on the other end of the court, and they said, all right, we're going to cruise. 
And it's not like James Harden needs an excuse to go into cruise mode. You know, that's been part of his deal. For cruise a while. control is his default. Yeah. Mike. Yeah. Right. Yes. Exactly. So, you know, the, the game played out as you would have as it would have played out. But the fans in Crypto.com arena were appreciative of that effort, especially because it does. There is a difference between what we've seen at certain points this year. And the only other point I'd make, Pete, is that I think that, you know, Russ got going later, but he was struggling early in in the first half. And I think that Russ had found a nice little groove on the road. And then he came back and I'm not sure if he had the same level of whether it's trust in the jump shot or just the kind of the expectation that he was going to have to hit it. And so he only has four points and four assists with five turnovers at halftime. But he did play better in the second half. And he was kind of he was certainly the guy in the fourth quarter where the game was over and he kept you know trying to find a way to make plays. And that's that's part of his whole thing. But it was, as you alluded to earlier, Pete, it was highly watchable and it at a minimum sustained the effort and energy that they had on the road trip. And the level of organization, too, that's three straight games against pretty good defenses in Philly, Cleveland and Toronto, where we put up a bunch of points. Now, at some point, we couldn't stop them. But I think the fact that we were able to put up 121 and this game, like so many others this season, this wasn't a game where we went down by 25 and then had some fake comeback where Wayne Ellington hits four threes in the fourth quarter and we lose by eight. You know what I mean? Like this was a game throughout. Now, Philly definitely turned the screws on our offense. And but that's part of the reason why I'm excited about that performance is that everything about Philly plays into Things that we've been bad at this season. We talked about wrestling Goliath yesterday, right? Like dealing with the really big guys, but they're big across the board, guys. They've got, you know, uh, Matisse Thibel, uh, Danny Green, Tobias Harris. That presents real problems for guys like Austin Reeves, who I think has a real problem with Philly's physicality, Malik Monk. That physicality and strength across the board and ability to control the front of the rim. When you think about our offense with LeBron James out, if Russ isn't doing stuff at the rim, like where is he going to be doing it? And with if LeBron's in the game, he can absorb he can absorb some of those possessions where you don't need Russ to take as many jumpers, but they're exactly the type of team D that can really lock us up on offense. And when we played them last time, when Anthony Davis was available, but LeBron was not, we had some 80 something points in that game. Now we need to get our defensive house in order for sure. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about, about that end of the floor. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. So that first quarter that Mike was talking about, we were really good on defense throughout the majority of it. And, you know, they had like 18 points with two minutes and 30 seconds left. And, but down the stretch of that quarter, Doc Rivers in particular is very much a matchup hunting type of coach. And James Harden as a player seeks that out as a ball handler as well. They went to like three straight pick and pops with Georges Niang and James Harden with targeting Carmelo Anthony. In that period of time. And I think to Mike's point, and this is part of why I'm encouraged, is at some point we kind of run out of guys that can play defense on this current roster, especially with LeBron out, where I was encouraged by the fact that they were still able to score for the most part. But if AD comes back, I think that slots to that slots Wenyan, Stanley, guys like that into spots where now all of a sudden we do have like I think just enough defense to be a pretty good team throughout all 48. But that's what I saw. Like we gave up like 18 points in the first 10 minutes of that game and then, you know, 118 in the last 38 of it. So what did you see on the defensive end in that game? That motor is super important, basically. And it's something we've been preaching a lot. But look, when you start a game with Russell Westbrook, and Austin Reeves, okay, you can do some stuff defensively there with like your backcourt. But then your entire front court was a defensive group, right? It's Dwight Howard, it's Stanley Johnson, and it's Wenyan Gabriel. And Stanley, being able to deploy Stanley on a perimeter player like James Harden, then you can slot other guys appropriately in ways where it's just like, okay, well, Tobias Harris, you're going to be guarded by Wenyan Gabriel. Now, you're stronger than Gabriel, of course, but Gabriel's length was giving Harris some issues. And Harris didn't get going until it's Austin Reeves who's defending him. Or even Russell Westbrook, who was fighting him for space but was fouling him, right? And, and, and so there was – and then Dwight – I don't want to say that he was like giving Embiid problems. Embiid was getting to his spots on the floor, but he was mostly shooting jumpers and those jumpers weren't weren't falling. And so Dwight was a barrier enough to be like, you're not burying me deep underneath the basket the way that he did a couple of times on Carmelo Anthony and Wenyan Gabriel, right? And so there was a physicality from a defensive standpoint and a motor when you have a combination of Reeves, Gabriel, and Stanley that when when the Lakers started to throw traps at players and started to show higher out on the court, the rotations behind that were, mm-hmm. were backed up with dudes who had the wheels to get to those spots on the floor. And so there was a possession, Pete, where it was basically Philly was in a drive and kick wheel. 
And it all started off of a high pressure on Harden or Maxi. It was one of their ball handlers, but it was, okay, kick out of the pressure. All right, rotate, swing, drive, rotate, swing, drive. And it was like a cycle. And the Lakers were every bit of that possession. They yes. were in it with them and they were in the wheel with them. Was this the one that ended with the wing three on the left side? Yes. Uh, DJ Augustine and he sidestepped it. I think it was Shake Milton that took it. It's such a, we got like six, seven passes into the sequence. It was great. And so you were just like, look at, look at us. Like, yeah. like in the text thread. Yeah. But when you have guys who have some wheels behind them to sort of back that, that up. And Augustine, he's not a fast player by any means, but he's a, like, I know what I'm doing player defensively. He's been in the league a, a, like a decade. Is he going to get targeted at the point of attack? Yes. Right. But off the ball, he's at least going to be like, oh, my rotate uh, X out. OK, I didn't know how to X out. Right. Oh, go to the corner. Yeah, I could do that. But over the course of the game, when you replace that with um, Carmelo Anthony. Right. Then you lose something there in terms of motor. And as you get deeper and deeper in to the bench and those lineups, you've talked about the sensitivity of lineups offensively, but that same sensitivity exists defensively. Very much so. Right. And so it's just like, okay, well, Dwight and Mello are on the court. Well, guess what's going to happen? Right. When you get spread out, then you can't make all of those rotations. And the thing that I'm looking forward to. Forget the names and the pedigree of the defensive players when you talk about Anthony Davis or even LeBron James. It's the fact that they have the ability to move around the court in ways that when you add them to a Gabriel and a Stanley Johnson and an Austin Reeves and a Russell Westbrook and even to a certain extent a Malik Monk, like these guys might get targeted in their own ways, especially the guards, but it's just like at least they can move around the court and you can do, you can extend your defense in ways that is going to be helpful, I think. Well, something else that we haven't gotten to yet is that Vogel used a tight eight-man rotation, mm-hmm. which he – I don't know if he's done that this year yet. And it's just interesting. The three guys off the bench were Mello, Augustine, and Monk. So that meant you know Ariza hasn't been playing. Bazemore hasn't usually played, but he's been using Avery Bradley. Now, he didn't play. He's been using Wayne Ellington some. He didn't play. And, of course, TSG out with the ankle sprain. So that's – Curious to me as now with these nine games left, uh, Darius, jump in there. No, Mike, Bradley not playing is super interesting specifically because of who was on the other side of the court. And so Bradley easily, this is the type of game Frank would go to Bradley. Like, hey, go steal some minutes against James Harden. Go steal some minutes against Maxie. Yeah. But so the fact that he didn't play, I think, is sort of telling. Anyways, please. Yeah, it's just it's just something to note and something that's interesting. And then Stanley Johnson played 35 minutes and we can address part of that because he was doing a pretty good job on James Harden and he was shooting the ball effectively early. And then after he didn't force his shot, Stanley had eight assists and one turnover last night, which Pete's talked about this a pretty good amount. Like he's got some real skills in that way. Like he's got some playmaking chops, dropped a couple nice dimes inside. Dwight is not going to play 28 minutes very often. And he, you know, he was a minus 11, but all of the scoring that he was doing inside, like hitting some of his free throws. So I I don't think that Frank will completely stick to this specific eight man. But if you put LeBron and AD in, 
and then you X out, I guess, let's see, who would that be? Well, you don't necessarily have to X out anybody, but Melo's certainly not playing 31 minutes, right? Yeah, I think he's ideally down to more like 18 to 20 in that sense. And then Wenyan Gabriel, instead of 30, you know, he's coming off the bench and maybe giving you 15 minutes of really good energy. Stanley's coming off the bench then, and, you know, maybe he's giving you 25. But then you're still going to – you're basically trimming minutes away from some of your defensive weak points. And and that could be – that could even be less of Russ in, in certain – Contest, although he only played 33 minutes, but yeah, Pete, just talk to me about that grouping and how with the idealized version of this team, right, playing sort of the right guys, that to me is what fixes the defense more than anything, like bigger minutes for LeBron and AD and a couple fewer for the guys that can't protect the rim at all. Yeah, the our biggest defensive weakness amongst that group to me is Dwight Howard in most instances, just because he can't move that much. And I know that's counterintuitive, mellow, right? Sure. Oh, yes, of yeah. course. Of course. Yes. And uh, but in terms of like like Melo's probably at least going to get a couple of shifts. And I, whereas when AD's healthy, when I look at who where did the minutes come from? Because like I think I think Gabriel should continue to start even when AD comes back. I think he's that forward that's between LeBron and AD that Darius has been talking about for most of the season. Now, is he the caliber that I ideally no but in terms of fit and archetype i think that he's that type of guy you know you're picking a lot of ways between not a lot of ways you're picking in between stanley and gabriel there and maybe that depends a little bit on matchup but that yeah you i can i could hear an argument for either one of those guys the reason I'd go Gabriel toward shoot a little bit, maybe. yeah, that's that's more of the reason although, although why Stanley's been hitting shots. So. He he has it's one <laughs> it's one of those things where I like and and Gabriel's a guy that his jumper is either falling or it's not, and we've seen that. Um, but I think that his brand of defense is more important. So I, I want to go back to to Stanley and um, well, I'll, I'll throw the break up in a sec. Uh, but I, yeah, I want to go back to Stanley. Tip off. Tip off happens. Philly wins the tip. They get the ball over to Harden. And Stanley, I I, I call this like the hunter's dance. And this is how I would coach it. Um, Stanley's hiking up his shorts. And he's like, I got the opportunity to guard James Harden tonight. He is about it. He is excited that he gets the chance. So in that first quarter, you were talking about, Mike, with Stanley scoring points. Uh, you know, he was more of a distributor as the game went on. And I want to talk about that on the other side of the break. But on top of the scoring a double-digit quarter, he had James Harden for the vast majority of that quarter and did a good job of on him. And I think that that's something that – him finding his niche. I want to talk more about Stanley in this last segment because I'm really seeing a, a player kind of blossom into the player that they're supposed to be. I really think we're seeing that with Stanley Johnson. So let's take a break, talk more about him on the other end of this. Stanley is one of my favorite Lakers to hear talk whether it's in the pregame hits that you guys do, or they did a, a backstage Lakers on him, I believe it was. And when you hear him talk, he's someone, he's 25 years old, and he's somebody who strikes me as being very comfortable in their skin. Like they, he figured out who he is and what he's about and what he stands for. And he speaks with a degree of conviction that is unusual for a player that's 25 years old. Winning Gabriel is, is similar, but I don't know his personality as well. So I'm, I'm still listening on this, but they both strike me as, uh, uh, and Stanley in particular, is just having a degree of comfort that 
a guy like THT, for example, doesn't have yet. Talon is still figuring out his place in the NBA and basketball. And with Stanley, we think of a player's prime oftentimes, Dean, and we think of that with respect to future Hall of Famers or All-Stars or that guy you drafted number two who's 19 years old that you're dreaming about what they'll be like in five to seven years. But role players have primes too. And a player like Stanley Johnson, who comes from that five-star blue chip background, but didn't quite work out in that respect. We were talking yesterday about Stan Van Gundy. Stanley Johnson was drafted to be like, let's give Stanley the ball. He's 19, but he's going to figure it out. And he's going to get us buckets. And he's going to get better and better at that over the years. And ideally, he's one of our number one or two options. That was the idea. But it didn't work out that way. But in this context, Darius, where he is playing off of players that draw the attention in the first place. We talked so much about that idea of advantage extension. Have you noticed how good our cutting has been lately? And our cutting lanes have really opened up. He facilitates so much of that. Austin facilitates that on his short rolls and the passing out of that. LeBron and eventually AD with his roll gravity will draw a certain amount of attention. And then against a good team, that first pass is not going to be where the bucket comes from. It's not going to be LeBron directly to Austin for a layup, which we'll see sometimes LeBron directly to Stanley for a layup, but that there's going to be a rotation. And then that Stanley or, or Austin in that circumstance has to make that read. And Stanley not only is able to make that pass, but he's got so many little floaters and, and shots around the rim with either hand. He shoots out of a nice jump stop. There's a versatility to his game where it's like, that plus a guy who's his size with his length that can pick up James Harden and do a serviceable job for sure on him. That's a good player in the NBA, D. And, and so him going from, you know, modern day to the Pistons, to the Raptors and just kind of bouncing around and eventually South Bay. I'm seeing a guy that like this is the role for Stanley Johnson in, in the NBA. This is what he can do. Not we've been calling him a replacement level player. The, his skill set. If he can do that in that particular role, that's a really good player, guys. He's impressive. Mike, you had brought up, or LeBron did in a post game week and a half ago, he had brought up like NBA Jam and he's on fire idea, right? Well, the other thing that I always remember from NBA Jam or the version I used to play, which was called Hang Time, was that you've got like seven or eight attributes and there's a, a meter for each of them, right? It's just like, oh, your shooting meter, you're Chris Mullen, right? And so your shooting meter is like all the way maxed out and your passing meter might be at eight, right? But your defense meter might be at four or three because you're one of those guys who doesn't guard anyone and on and on and on. And it's basically like the eight main skills for a guy, right? Like steals and blocks and, and all of these categories. Low key, Stanley's passing meter is probably like at a seven or an eight, right? And so he's sort of this lean but strong forward type who doesn't necessarily have a very polished jumper, right? Like his mechanics look okay, but it's just like, oh, well, not so much, right? And his handle's okay, but his passing, like the part of his game that does not fit for what type of player he is, is his passing. Because he is such a high-level passer in terms of both feel and type of pass that he throws. So some guys have feel for passing, and they don't throw the right pass. 
It's just like, oh, I know that this guy's open. Let me throw a chest pass here. It's just like, no, bro, you throw it right into the dude's arms, right? Yeah. Like, oh, let me throw the lob. It's like, no, they're playing you for the lob. Like, you and that have guy to- can't jump. Yeah, the guy you're throwing it to can't do that. Yeah. And so, but Stanley's got a great understanding of both staying in the pocket for how to pass and what pass to actually throw. And that's how he gets eight assists and no turnovers. It's because he's making the right type of pass, right? Quickly. Like these reads happen very quickly as well. And so I love that aspect of Stanley's game. And the other part of this, Pete, is that he is a driving kick player. And so Stanley, when he's off the ball, watch him when he's off the ball. Watch him when he's one pass away. All right. Because teams do not help one pass away unless you're a non-shooter. If you're a non-shooter, they will help one pass away. It's Mm -hmm. not ideal, but they'll do it. You know why? Because they're going to close out short to you anyway. Mike, when Stanley Johnson is off the ball and he's one pass away, he looks like a wide receiver who's about to get a pass for a on like a bubble screen. So he is like lurking behind the line of scrimmage. He is turned to the ball and his feet Mm -hmm. feet are pumping. He's Mm -hmm. just moving, moving, moving. And he's waiting to get that pass because when he gets that pass, he is about to explode into the crease that is right there in a similar way that a wide receiver would who has blocking lined up in front of him because he is looking to get into that gap and drive and kick basically. And the kick may be a spray across court for a three-pointer. It may be a pocket bounce pass to the same side wing who is now cutting baseline. It may be almost right behind him to the guy who replaced and filled his same spot on the court when he drove that gap hard. But he is such a good driving kick player, and that's exactly what the Lakers need within the context of these five-out schemes that they've been running offensively, particularly when Gabriel and Le- when he's on the court with like Gabriel and LeBron, or Gabriel and and well and Melo, or just Melo and then three guards, which has happened a fair amount too. But that that's the part of Stanley's game where it's just like, yeah, you may have envisioned yourself as like this on ball i'm gonna get 25 a game in the nba but what he's turned himself into is that advantage extender or that guy who can play who is making the part the middle play that is super important in order to have a functional offense when you're playing driving kick basketball and all of that is why it was funny to me that Pete had alluded to the post-game interviews and enjoying listening to Stanley talk. Well, Stanley said somewhat randomly that when he was watching the NBA in the time that he was directly out of the league, there was a player that he was watching and it was Trevor Ariza. And he thought, if I could just do that and kind of play the way that Trevor is playing. And so Trevor, we think of as a pretty classic three and D wing. That's what Trevor does. And the ways that you guys were just describing Stanley, some of those skills that he has are beyond a lot of 3 and D wings. Trevor doesn't do some of the stuff that you were just talking about. So while on the one hand, he's he's figured out in his own mind, okay, I got to get back into the league, but I have to do it by being a role player. But he can be, if he can get those things down more and, and continues to get the three-point shot 
right, continue to focus on the defensive side of the court and effort. But then, oh, wait, he, he still does have some of these other skills mm-hmm. that he grew up as a dominant player with the basketball. And that total aspect of a player is very intriguing to me as well. Yeah, it's I, I love that point that that most three and D like Trevor Reza was a second round pick. He was not drafted to be what Stanley Drop Stanley Johnson was drafted to be. And so him watching that, and I, I love that anecdote, him watching Ariza, who's an all-time great like Lakers role player, but Ariza didn't have those on-ball skills. Man, Stanley Johnson in high school. I don't want to act like I was at every Stanley Johnson game, but uh, th- there's one tournament in particular, and I, I can't remember the name of the tournament, but Stanley Johnson was physically very developed at like 16 years old. He didn't look that different than he does now. And so if you see that guy amongst teenagers... He stands out on his own. That's, the, that's the get off the bus guy. The other team's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that moment. It's a, it, that moment is one of the things that I, I really tried to that, that I learned early in my coaching career. That moment where like, you know, we're in the layup lines or whatever it is that it's usually the JV game is wrapping up or or. Uh, or yeah, there's usually an earlier game wrapping up and then varsity walks in and everybody's kind of eyeballing each other. Yeah, Stanley Johnson was that guy who was like, oh my, right? And then he gets into a game and he's hitting like, when his jumper is falling, he's already got that passing ability in that physical build. Like you can see why, like <laughs> basketball people. And at that age, he had, there were like NBA scouts in the, you know, it was it, uh, a lot of college people there. It was a big deal. Stanley Johnson was, was a big deal. And you'd look around the gym and there'd be legit basketball people like making the stank face, like, man, <laughs> you know, like when his jumper was, was falling. Cause he had all of the ball handling ability, that nice passing feel and all of that. But for him to like, not have that path as the guy work out and then end up on this path and being able to accept it and embrace it and be like, you I'm going to be really good at this. That extra layer of having that on ball skill where maybe another great player created some of the advantage in the first place that makes things easier on him. It puts him in a position where he's been in and he's comfortable in. And that's the thing about him that that I really enjoy. And same thing's true with Gabriel is they're really excited to play basketball. And I think that this whole journey that Stanley's gone through and him talking about being out of the NBA and watching guys like think about his mindset there. He's like, okay, who can I emulate to get back at this? I don't want to let my dream go. I'm going to get back at this. And that takes, I don't know, that's really impressive to me, D at 25 years old to be able to let that go. Cause a lot of guys never let that go and be able to be like, what can I do to fit in? And I think that, I don't know, I think Stanley's got a really bright future. I hope it's here, but just in the league, I'm so impressed by him. I'm glad the Lakers signed him to a two-year deal. Even if next year's partial or non-guaranteed, at least he'll be in camp and he'll have the ability to come and see if he can continue to build and grow. The interesting thing that you said earlier about he has more defensive versatility, I think, than Gabriel. For sure. And they make a very good duo because I think that their skills complement each other, right? We're talking a lot about Stanley as a driving kick player. Well, Gabriel's a finisher. He is a spot-up dude who's going to hit a spot-up three, and he's a good cutter. Gabriel's a good cutter, and that's exactly what a driving kick player needs. He needs a guy who's going to be available, especially a big target, 
who's available, both as a spot-up guy and as a shooter. Or, I'm sorry, and and as a cutter. Yeah, and he finishes with, like, what was that shot he made at the end of one of the, one of the quarters? Left-handed banker, like, he was cut, like, he had gotten it sort of in between space, and so he, he then, like, took a couple of dribbles and mm-hmm. then went up and saw that the challenge was coming, and so he then shot it like a little lefty. And adjusted. And yeah. yeah, those ability to hit those shots around the rim, Mike, are are super important when you're cutting because you don't know how that defense is going to collapse. You kind of have to adjust midair and guys who can do that can really thrive in this style. That's that's all true. And that's part of it. And I, I also think that the key with those two is that the other teams, coaches watch this Laker team play. They watch film from a couple weeks ago and they see a totally different team. And yeah. it's because that team was slower and smaller and less enthusiastic and so when you start the game and you're Philly and you're expecting the Lakers like, all right, well, here's the things we can do. We can run at them in transition. They're not going to they, you know, hit them with a blow. They may not might not recover. And then it's Gabriel and Johnson just running around out there. And it does. It, it does to me change the complexion of the team. some. And so I I'm super interested to see what happens when AD comes back. And because I want to continue to find minutes for Stanley and Gabriel to play together. I do understand one of them should start. Right. Um, And I think it will and probably should be more matchup based. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I do think that there are going to be times where you want a guy who can guard the wing so that LeBron doesn't have to. Even the ball handler, even the ball handler, Stanley did a totally good, a totally fine job on James Harden. There's going to be heck if we get through. We've got what CJ McCollum possibly coming up, uh, possibly a Reggie Jackson if we get through C.J. McCollum. Those smaller guards, Stanley can guard those type of guys in ways that Wenyon can't. Yeah, and so that defensive versatility is going to be important. Like, soon soon enough, though, there was some stuff that Stanley was doing defensively, and I was getting a bit irritated by it. He was getting super aggressive, and then James Harden was just bullying him in order to get by and then get into the paint. And it's just like, okay, we get you're excited, but you got to <laughs> appropriately deploy that aggression, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a learning thing for him. And there's a reason why, even with all the tools, he's still sort of just like, ah, well, that was a little much there, right? Yep. A little bit too too much. And he does... He plays that's, part, way- that's part of his personality, though, right? It's the same reason why he's compelling to listen to speak to. It, that's part of his conviction. You know, it, yep. it's- well, he deploys that way more defensively than offensively, though, because offensively, I think he has a very firm understanding of what his limitations are and what the coaches want of him. Yeah, but he's always going. I think that's yes. what it is. Like he's all like, all right, I'm, like you were saying on the bubble screen uh, yeah. scenario that I- you're talking about, like he's always in that mindset. And, and so I'll be interested to see there are nights where he's going to be super appropriate as a starter. Right. And there are nights where it really should be Gabriel mm. because they're minimum guys or as Mike's correctly pointed out, Gabriel's on a two way because of their status. They are interchangeable, but they're mm. also complementary. And so I'll be very interested to see. Like I call them like the motor boys. Right. Because they're yeah. the two forwards who. It's motor all the time with them. And that's something that's been lacking. And it's so refreshing. So refreshing. To see those guys 
play individually, play together, and watch them do the things that they're good at. Because those specific things are things that the Lakers haven't had guys do a lot, particularly with AD missing as much time as he's missed. I wish we had more games left in the season. That's one thing from watching this, like, oh, we've only got nine regular season games left. Um, in some ways, I think we're this is this has been a transition season and and that we're in the midpoint of a larger story where I think this period of time where we've really kind of figured out who we are, like we haven't even known what our starting lineup is supposed to be. We've got less than 10 games left. What is our starting lineup? We don't really know. We have some guesses, but it's taken all this time to get to this point. I really wish we had 20, 30 games left rather than the, the nine that we do, but it's exciting to watch some good watchable basketball. We'll be back tomorrow. Don't have a game till Sunday. We'll uh, have something fun for you tomorrow here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Brian, 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 Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.